Hello, happy Thanksgiving, and welcome to Disenfranchised. Uh, welcome back to Disenfranchised, unless this is your first time, in which case, welcome. Also, why is this your first episode? Either way, I digress. We're happy to have you. Welcome. I am one of your hosts. My name is Stephen Foxworthy. Uh, and uh, that other host, who is uh, kicking down doors and uh, shooting people and then asking questions, it's it's my co-host, Brett Wright. How are you, Brett? Gobble, gobble, Stephen. Happy Thanksgiving. And also with you. Uh, I should also mention that this is a podcast that talks about movies that were intended to start franchises, but as of now, have yet to do so. And if ever one of these movies does, um, oddly, become a franchise, uh, we'll cover the uh, the sequels on this podcast. But I think we're safe on this one, Brett. Uh, I think so too. As much as we, as much as we love Pierce Brosnan doing spy things, yeah, uh, not this time. No. So of course we're talking about 2002's Die Another Day, uh, his last entry in the James Bond franchise, uh, the the one that killed his chances at becoming Bond again. No, actually, that's not what we're talking about. Brett, what are we talking about today? I mean, look, James Bond is a long-running franchise. Jesus Christ, Stephen. Uh, I know. We never talk about James Bond on this podcast. No. No, we never. Wait. Yeah, we will. Maybe we will. Who knows? It's a secret. Um, (laughs) A very poorly kept secret. Yeah, you're right. No, we are talking about uh, The November Man. The November Man. 2014's The November Man. Starring Pierce Brosnan himself, Pierce Brosnan, uh, also Luke Bracey, Olga Kurilenko, uh, Bill Smitrovich, uh, and uh, in a in a very minor, thankless role, uh, Will Patton as well, uh, who's who's great in this. He's great in everything, but honestly, I could have I could have used some more Will Patton in this movie. Yes, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'm not too familiar with Will Patton, so really, to me, this movie is just Pierce Brosnan and a bunch of people I've never seen before. Uh, you you've never seen Armageddon, the great Michael Bay film Armageddon. Uh, sure, he's, he's, Bruce, he's Bruce Willis is number two in that movie. All right, he's the now. You want to put that down before you do something you might regret. That's like that's that's the Will Patton sweet spot right there. Like casually talking sense into someone who's really overreacting. Like that's that's what that's when Will Patton just shines because he's he's really good at just just in the middle of a chaotic situation, just bringing it down and just being really calm and really collected and just that very slat southern accent that he's got. And it's great. You know who else is really good at, at doing that, but can also go the other end and do the really <laughs> wild, crazy stuff, too, is Denzel Washington. Denzel, like he does that thing where he just is very quiet and very calm and he'll talk very loud. But then all then every once in a while, King Kong ain't got shit on him and it's just loud and explosive <laughs> and over the top. And it's great. Either way, it's great. But like Patton, Patton thrives in that like small, like quiet mode. Um, but yeah, Patton and that and Patton's one of the ways that you know this movie was supposed to be a franchise because Patton just shows up and he's like, Oh, that's a guy I kind of recognize. And then he just leaves the movie and he doesn't even say goodbye. It's just like, oh, I guess I guess well Patton's gone now. Well, that's a bummer. Yeah, more uh more cart before the horse shenanigans. Yeah. It's really um, it's really becoming this uh this podcast catchphrase. Yeah. Uh, cart get, that on a, horse. get that on a t shirt. Um, Absolutely. Let, let us know if you want some merch. We'll put that on a t-shirt for you. Yeah. And if someone wants to design uh that that uh cart before the horse, uh, wants to design a, a, like uh some fan art for that for us, that'd be great too. Uh maybe even put us in the cart. I don't know. Uh in front of the horse. I don't know. It'd be fun. I'm just I'm throwing stuff out here, man. I don't know. Uh but yeah, so this is um the uh I, I wanna I don't want to say the big follow-up to Brosnan's James Bond run, but 
this film kind of wants you to know that he was James Bond once, while at the same time kind of saying, this ain't your daddy is James Bond, kind of at the same time. Wants to have its cake and eat it too, and I don't know that it's 100% successful there. No, for for a good chunk of this movie, you're kind of swapping back and forth between who you're supposed to be rooting for. Yeah. Uh, it's like, okay, all right, I get it. I'm rooting for Pierce Brosnan now. No, Pierce Brosnan's character is kind of a dick. I'm a root for this David Mason guy. No, this David Mason guy is kind of a dick. He's for Pierce Brosnan to be good. He's even more of a dick. So no, uh, I mean that. Well, there, there, there are no spies, Brett. And that's that's kind of the point this movie is really trying to get at. But this actually, this movie was based on a long-running uh, novel series by a man named Bill Granger, and it is in fact based on a novel. Correct me if I'm wrong. Called "There Are No Spies." Yeah, this, uh, this is a 20-book-long series. Um, so this is our second week in a row talking about a movie inspired by a very long book series. Yeah, where they also don't just start with the first one like you think they would. Um, yeah. They decide they're either going to pull from a bunch or they're going to pull from one right in the middle. Uh, this this one based on the 11th book in the series. So like post-middle, like 10 would be middle. This is post-middle. Yeah. yeah. Um Whereas the first one is called The November Man. So, I, you know, I don't really know what they were doing here. And Brett, uh, why is he called The November Man? Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, Stephen, he because, giggles knowing the answer. Because uh, when he shows up, there's there's nothing left. Brett, how, why, why do they call him The November Man? Because <laughs> when, when he shows up, there's nothing left, Stephen. It's, Except for duh. December, right? Except for no. December? No, nothing. No, there's nothing left afterwards. Oh, so I guess this is our last episode of 2020. Sorry, everybody. Because after uh, this episode, there's nothing. This will actually be our last episode of our podcast. Because after this episode, there's nothing left. Right. Because the November band showed up. <laughs> any Little podcast, did we know. Any podcast that covers the November man, it just has to be their last episode. That's that's the law somewhere. That's the rules. <laughs> Um, oh goodness. Yeah. So that name doesn't make a December man would be, would make my, I mean, December man does not sound nearly as cool as November man. Um, but I thought it meant like, you know, he's a spy in the twilight of his life. Like, that's what I was thinking when I heard the title. And then the guy says, you know, what we used to call you the November man. You know why? Cause there's nothing left. And I'm like, wait, what? That doesn't make sense. That's, that's kind of ridiculous. Okay, movie. Especially after an hour and a half ago, and are they ever going to tell us why he's called this? There's like a lot of buildup. Like, okay, well, okay, they're the going to no tell one, us. No one calls him the November Man until then. You, so you're kind of wondering, wait, why is this movie called the November Man? Because that's the only way it makes sense. But right. then the, there's like this line, kind of really awkwardly shoehorned into the end of the movie, and the end of this movie. Oh my gosh, the end of this movie, Brett. Well, Steven, so like we always do, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Yeah, there's, um, that, there's that cart in front of that horse again. So uh, let's let's talk about actually let's talk about our do we have have you ever read any of the novels in this November Man novel series? Um, yeah, I've read like four or five. Really? No, I haven't. No, I just did it again. That's I got our you new, again. That's our new bit. <laughs> that's the new bit. I've that's read the new books. Bit. I'll say I've read books I haven't. Um, no, no, I haven't. Because I don't... Look, man, I'm not really into, like, spy fiction. Sure. Uh, so, other than James Bond, occasionally. Um, Have you read any of the James Bond novels? No. Um, really? No, I haven't. Oh, um, crap. We screwed it up. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> um, 
now like yeah i just they're interesting movies but i don't i i've never really been interested in reading a novel about it um mm-hmm. yeah i mean i'm I sure mean, the i'm sure the born novels are good my dad i know has read the the born novels um i mentioned last week that i've been watching the bond films uh and i still am because there's 27 of those um but uh i am i am in the process of of watching the bond movies uh so i was ready for a spy movie like i was keyed up i um i don't have any familiarity with this series though uh, but honestly, the spy stuff that I'm more into, and this should come as no surprise to anyone who's listened to this, is less the rock'em sock'em absurd gadgetry spy stuff and more the like um, Tinker Tailor soldier spy George Smiley sitting in a room uh, deducing things uh, kind of spy movie. Like that's the kind of spy movie I really love. I could care less about Jason Bourne firing two guns while one of them is upside down when shooting it with his pinky. That does nothing for me. You're you're more espionage. You're more yeah. more more daggers in the dark behind Absolutely. the scenes. Yeah, yeah, man, cloaks and and curtains and 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 askance looks and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. The Americans, like the Americans, that television show on FX. The Americans was a very good television show from what I watched. But I only watched like the first couple seasons, but I liked it. I would watch more. I've never seen it. You you should watch it. It's good. I think you would enjoy it. But yeah, I mean, I like spy stuff, but. I would say, honestly, for probably about the first hour and a half of this, I was, well, it's only like an hour and four or 45 minutes, right? I don't know. For a while, I was really engaged with this movie, probably the first hour or so. I was really engaged in this movie. And then the ending just kind of happens. And I wasn't really ready for it. I, I told you this before the record, but this movie kind of ends. And I was like, wait, I was watching that. Like, it's just over. And there's, it just, okay, I guess we're done now. Thanks, movie. Like it just, it kind of just ends. Like I'm, I, I feel like I'm invested and then it's over. And I'm like, well, wait, was that, was that, that was, that was it. That was how um okay, fine. I guess. Sure. Great. Yeah. They, they throw like two twists in a row at you, like back to back. And the then... double twist is rare. Yes. It, and then they oh just start God. throwing everything at you and it, you're yeah. like, I, I can't keep up. Well, and you can tell this movie owes a lot to the spy movies that kind of came before it. Like, it owes a lot to the Bond franchise. I mean, they cast a Bond actor in the lead. Now, granted, Brosnan was the one developing this project. He's the one that bought the rights to the film in the first place, or the rights to the novel in the first place. So, I mean, he, but he, being a former Bond actor, he's well aware of the fact that you're going to make that correlation in your head. Uh, but I mean, also the Bourne movies, which kind of ended Brosnan's miracle run on the Bond franchise, the Bourne movies, the Bourne Identity came out in 2002. And next to that, Die Another Day, which came out the same year, kind of looks ridiculous in comparison for many reasons. Um, it killed off the Bond franchise for the better part of the next decade until Daniel Craig stepped up. I mean, it so it, it owes and there's a lot of born there's a lot of jack bauer there's a lot of 24 in this movie uh particularly in just how ruthless and efficient um peter Devereux, the name of the titular november man uh is uh in this movie i mean there's it just it owes a lot to the other spy franchises of the time but doesn't and i think the big biggest problem this movie has is it doesn't really bring anything new to the table it's no. just kind of borrowing stuff without having anything new to say yeah it's, it's, I mean, if you've seen a Bourne movie, you've seen this movie. 
doesn't really other exactly. than the fact that there's almost no likable characters um yeah uh but uh yeah it's it's not any different and i guess that probably what killed it yeah that that'd be my guess uh but there's that there's that the that horse getting behind that cart again uh let's talk about um the plot of this movie before we get too deep into the the rest of it um let's do the plot in 60 seconds where we will flip a coin and uh, that will decide uh, which, not just any coin, though, the coin of justice. And that will determine which of us will recount the plot of this movie, The November Man, in 60 seconds or less. Uh, Brett, would you call the coin of justice in the air? Uh, heads let me down last week, so we're going to go with heads again. Surprise. And lucky you, it is heads again. Hey. For, for the first time, rather. Hey, look at that. So there you go. There's heads. So I guess I have to give the plot of this movie. Hooray! Oh, I just I always count on you having to give it because you always do. Look, man, if there's a 50-50 chance of something, more than likely I'm gonna lose it. <laughs> and usually I'm the one that loses those, so I'm glad to have you around. Uh so go ahead and put 60 seconds on the clock for me if you would. I will absolutely do that. Hope you're ready. Oh gosh, me too. All right. And your time. It starts now. Pierce Brosnan is Peter Devereaux, the titular November man. He's a spy and something goes wrong and a kid dies. And so he ends up leaving in 2008, leaves the CIA, but he's pulled back in for one more job. His ex-wife is, or current wife, not really clear, uh, is deep undercover in the Russian um, presidency. And she's uncovered a uh, prostitution ring led by, or not a prostitution ring, but dude being basically really bad and killing off a bunch of uh, people that he's raped during the Chechnyan conflict. And he's going to be the next president of Russia? No! 30 seconds. And so he gets involved and people start dying, including that lady. And the CIA is after him and he thinks his it's his big boss, but no, it's the guy that brought him in. Uh, that's the double twist. And then the girl that he's had around is, is the girl that was raped initially. And she ends up exposing him and they end up killing all the bad guys and then it's over. 10 seconds. Oh, I mean, so I guess I could talk about um, you know, the, the henchwoman that's kind of like a Bond assassin. She's kind of cool. Uh, nope, I mean, you're done. Some... That's all. Oh, okay. All right. Well, there's, I mean, there's some good stuff in this movie. Um, but no, it's, it, that plot is, uh, is, is bizarre though. It is. And I honestly would like to talk about that hit woman. Uh, she's the worst hit woman in the history of hit women or yeah. hit men in general. Uh, my God, she's terrible. Um, hit persons. Hit person. She's a hit person. Uh, Jesus Christ. Um, if uh, so, again, I will speak to uh, Stephen if you want to um, earmuffs this. Uh, so, uh, we're going to talk about video games for a second. Um, <clears throat> so, in the Hitman franchise, if any of you are familiar with the Hitman franchise, uh, you would watch this woman in action and just be completely just lost um, about what she's doing. Uh, she's doing so much high profile stuff, uh, she's sloppy as hell. Um, it, it's a wonder how she managed to kill all the people before that. Um, but anyway, uh, that's it, man. Steven, you can wake back up now. Steven. Steven. What? Hi. Mm. Hi, Steven. Um, oh, that was a good nap. What was that for like an hour? <laughs> nah, man. We just, I just talked about video games for about like 30 seconds. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Felt like longer, but all right. Cool. Well, cool man. But I'm sorry, buddy. You know, if you haven't played the Hitman franchise, though, it's a lot of fun. I've heard of the Hitman franchise. Uh, and I know that movie was not generally well received, but sadly did get a sequel so it's not one we'll be able to cover on this podcast that much i do know 
Unfortunately, no. Um, I I enjoyed the second one actually because it's more of a reboot. It's not a direct sequel. Okay, you can watch either one independent of the others. Um, All right. So really, I like the second one. The first one, not so much. But eh, okay, look, man, Hitman's good. Anyway, and I would argue that this movie is is pretty good for all the things that it that you're kind of grabbing your head and going, wait, why? Um, the first like hour, hour fifteen is really, really pretty solid. Um, there's some really good stuff, some really good espionage going on in this movie. Yeah, with a little bit of action thrown in. I mean, there, um, this is, I would say this is more an action movie than most of the spy films that I really like. But, um, I mean, it, it's good action. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's not bad. Well, um, excuse me. I mean, Brosnan's able to do a lot for being in his, what, 60s at this point? Yeah, it's all that Bond training, man. That's right. Once, once you once you do all that bond training, you're, you're set for life. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, we are going to get into Pierce Brosnan and the spy genre because, oh, man, never has one man been so committed to one genre, except for maybe John Wayne and Westerns. But even so, oof, there's a there's a there's a depth there that I was unprepared for when I first went down that rabbit hole. But um, did that did it start before Bond or was that sort of like? Yes, Brett. Yes, it did. Wow. All right. It starts in 1987. Let, you know what? Let's just get into it. I'm yeah. just going to get into it. I'm just going to do Why it. Not? Why so not? So Pierce Brosnan uh, is the fifth James Bond. Am I doing that math correctly? Uh, Connery, Moore, or I'm sorry, Connery, Lazenby, Connery again, then Moore, then Dalton, then yes, Brosnan, number five. Okay. So um, he was actually tapped to play James Bond. He, they actually wanted him after Roger Moore was done. But he was currently at that time filming a show called Remington Steel. Ever heard of it? Oh, right. Remington Steel. I've heard of Remington Steel. In which he plays kind of a gentleman thief character. Like he's a thief who is like a front for a woman PI, I think is the premise. of. I've never actually seen the show, but based on what I read on IMDb, that is the premise of the show. Uh, So he's not really a spy, but thief and spy are kind of somewhat adjacent. He also plays a gentleman thief in uh, the John McTiernan directed film, The Thomas Crown Affair, and the Brett Ratner directed film, After the Sunset. Uh, and then he plays a uh, an assassin in 2005's Matador, assassin also kind of tangentially related there, and uh, a, uh, a killer slash terrorist in the 2015 film Survivor, opposite Mila Jovovich. Um, so, I mean, that's that's kind of the stuff that's tangentially related and not specifically in the spy genre. Here's all the stuff that was in the spy genre. He actually starts in 1987, so he doesn't get to play Bond. But what he does get to do is play a Bond-esque character in a series of commercials for Diet Coke. And I watched these commercials last night, and they are hilarious. You can actually just Google Pierce Brosnan Diet Coke commercial, and they will pop right up for you. And they, they honestly remind me of the kind of James Bond commercials we started seeing when Brosnan was actually Bond for like watches and cars and stuff like it's the guy and he's talking directly to the camera he's like you know it's a very uncertain world and that's why it's always good to have a beverage you can rely on like diet coke it's good in a can and then like someone will like an assassin's after him so they'll like shoot the can and a hole will pop like appear in it and they'll start pouring into the glass it's situated directly underneath him he goes or on the rocks and so like this assassin's trying to kill him and he just kind of casually dispatches the assassin by like throwing a diamond on the floor or the train that he's hanging from the side of goes into a tunnel. And, and then he's just like diet Coke is for an uncertain world. And that's, that's it. Like that's the commercial, but there's like a whole series of these 
Uh, I think two of them are readily available. Uh, the second one, the one on the train, by the way, uh, features a uh, Jolie Richardson, the uh, daughter of uh, Vanessa Redgrave and sister of uh, Liam Neeson's late wife, Jolie Richardson, great actress. Um, but yeah, so that's his first like spy work, technically. And then the same year that The Living Daylights comes out, he is in a Michael Caine film called The Fourth Protocol, um, which I looked at is not a, a franchise starter, but uh, wouldn't be so great if it were. Uh, Brosnan actually plays a Russian spy who's undercover in Britain, and Michael's Kane plays a spy hunter. So he's after him, which just sounds really cool. Uh, and then, uh, so that's 1987. Uh, 1993 is a made-for-TV movie called One of Two Things. I'm going to give you the, 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 the okay name first, and then the really cool name second. So it's sometimes called Detonator, and you know how wild the second name's got to be, because that's the okay name. Like, the cool name is Death Train. Dude, I want to see Death Train. Jesus. Death Train. Uh, and it's a 1993 made-for-TV movie uh, where Brosnan is the head of a UN task force. Um, and uh, former Bond villain Christopher Lee, Francisco Scaramanga from The Man with the Golden Gun, is playing a, a Russian trying to detonate a nuclear bomb on, on the titular Death Train. And uh, Patrick Stewart plays Brosnan's boss at the UN. So just like great, a great cast, why this was only made for TV and not, you know, like the greatest film in American history. I don't know. Uh, but it was followed two years later by a follow up uh, called Detonator 2 colon Nightwatch. Uh, Nightwatch with no spaces and a capital W. Um, that's uh, the, the made for TV sequel to Death Train, wherein uh, the same character must track down art thieves who i guess are also maybe spies as well i don't know i wasn't very clear and it's hard to find a plot synopsis for a 1995 made for tv movie who who knew so it wasn't it wasn't called death train 2 night watch no <laughs> it was called detonator 2 night watch because there's no death train in it uh, like if they called on. it if they called it detonator colon death train much better movie sure I get because I get it. Is Death Train such a good name though? It is. It's such a great. It's 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 like I would say even better than Snakes on a Plane, which is kind of the the benchmark for obvious titles that are also kind of awesome. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, also, but so, but so that made for TV movie comes out the same year as Goldeneye, his very first film in the Bond franchise. Uh, he makes four Bond movies, um, the first three of which are really great. The fourth one of which. Uh, we kind of mentioned earlier the the Born movie, Born Identity, comes out the exact same year. Kind of kills the franchise, uh, really. And also, like to do the sticky Bond stuff post nine eleven felt weird. There's like a whole section at the beginning of this movie that explains why Bond wasn't able to stop nine eleven, which is also weird. That's one I'm looking forward to rewatch. Looking forward, heavy air quotes on the looking forward to rewatch. Uh, when I get to the Brosnan, I'm just finishing out the Moore era right now. Uh, but yeah, hmm, weird. Um, but so you got GoldenEye in 95, Tomorrow Never Dies in 97, The World Is Not Enough in 99, uh, with an absolute banger of a theme song, and then Die Another Day in 2002, which I know is a theme song that you think is kind of a banger. Yeah, I completely acknowledge that it it's it's in the, in the grand scheme of Bond themes, it's not weird. Not it's good. not like, but I don't know, man. I have got a weird thing for late nineties Madonna though. Yeah, God knows why. 
I don't really know why. <laughs> don't ask me why. I won't be able to tell you. Fair enough. Uh, I just know that she's only got, what is it? Was it 10 seconds to save the world? I don't know. There's a limited amount of time in which Madonna and Justin Timberlake have to save the world. I don't remember. I don't know. It's a song. I heard it once. Probably on Glee. I don't know. I don't want to talk about it. Um, uh, in 2001, so right in between The World Is Not Enough and Die Another Day, he's in a John Borman movie called The Tailor of Panama, which I vaguely remember but have never seen, in which he plays a, an MI6 agent who bullies uh, Jeffrey Rush, the titular Tailor of Panama to spy for him on the Panamanian government. Uh, weird movie that does not exist. Uh, and then he takes a nice long break, aside from the you know few like uh, spy-adjacent movies we mentioned previously, like After the Sunset and Matador. Uh, it takes a nice long break until 2015, 2014's rather, The November Man, which is this movie we're talking about today. And then after that, he does a movie called No Escape, starring Owen Wilson and Lake Bell in which he's a British a British secret agent who's trying to help an American expat family in the midst of a coup in Asia. That plot synopsis was hard to, hard to follow online. Interesting. Uh, and then he's got a couple that aren't exactly spy thrillers, but kind of are meant to remind you of spy thrillers, which is the, the 2017 Jackie Chan film The Foreigner and the 2018 film Final Score. Uh, both kind of fit into that category. Not specifically spy films, but kind of spy-esque. Now, Stephen, you, you've left a very glaring omission out did of... I, did uh, I miss out of, one? Out of, out of Pierce Brosnan's uh, oeuvre. Uh-oh. What'd I do? Um, you have forgotten his role in Mrs. Doubtfire. He's not a spy in Mrs. Doubtfire. That's why. How do you know? Okay, well, in that case, he plays a spy in every movie he's ever been in, Brett. Are you happy now? Yes, I am. Good. <laughs> this is why this is why the November Man is the last episode of every podcast because it tears <laughs> the people that are on it apart. Look, he was accosted by fruit in that movie, so I mean it's basically a spy movie. I mean, this movie does have a couple of really uh intense shots of the front of a Mercedes of the like the the emblem on the front of a Mercedes, just like Mrs. Doubtfire when Robin Williams rips it off of his car. Yeah. So, so who's, who's to say that this isn't just the November Man cinematic universe? I am. I'm to say that, Brad. <laughs> All right, fine. Just ruin my fun. I will take that. No fun on this podcast, damn it. Nope. Uh, we're not going to have any of that in here. None of that crap. Don't. No. No, thank you. Um, but no. So, I mean, Pierce Brosnan uh, spies. The dude is committed to the genre for, for good or ill. But honestly... And I and I know I've kind of I'm kind of repeating myself here, but I didn't think this one was that bad. Certainly better than the other movie that he worked on with this director, uh, Roger Donaldson, which is the uh, the film Dante's Peak. Oh, I remember Dante's Peak. Yeah, I watched that for my last podcast, um, and it was my least favorite movie that we covered on that podcast. Uh, it's it was real real bad. I didn't like it. Oh, said that weird genre of like volcano movies that happened in the. In the early to mid 90s, disaster movies from like the 70s made a really big comeback. So usually you'd have movies like uh, like in the 70s, you had like Earthquake or Airport 77, like all of those movies. Uh, and those came back in a big way in the 90s. And it was Twister. Twister. Yondabon's Twister is the one to blame for that. Um, and then you've got like, and, but I think 97, you had Dante's Peak. And then in 98, you had Volcano. Like Tommy Lee Jones, Anne Hayes, and Don Cheadle in Volcano. 
which is, I mean, but yeah, that was kind of its own little subgenre of the disaster movie thing. But yeah, a lot of disaster movies. And honestly, I'm not going to lie. I don't think I like disaster movies. Twitter or Twister, Twitter, Twitter is a disaster in and of itself. Twister being the, probably the exception, the lone exception to that, but generally not a big fan of disaster movies. No, I, I kind of really... liked the towering Inferno though. The towering Inferno was good. Yeah. I can't think of outside of Twister. I can't think of one that I liked unless you can't. I, I mean, I haven't seen Armageddon. I remember like, I love since it came out, but I, I remember liking it at the time. I like Armageddon and honestly you should rewatch it if for no other reason than just so you can remember who Will Patton is. Um, sure. <laughs> because he's that's the second time that movie's come up this episode. <laughs> I don't know. There's something really novel about the early Michael Bay stuff that I really enjoy. Um, that and The Rock. I mean, The Rock's probably his best film, but there, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Armageddon because there was a good chunk of my childhood wherein Armageddon was my favorite movie of all time. Um, wow. Yeah, it's the reason I am a diehard, no, no pun intended, diehard Bruce Willis fan to this day. Um, is is not because of the film Die Hard. No, it is because of the film Armageddon, which is probably where I first loved Bruce Willis. I'm a diehard Bruce Willis fan because of Fifth Element. I mean, that also needs to be represented. Uh, Do loves me some Fifth Element. Yeah, negative. I am a meat popsicle. <laughs> Call me my man. I got no fire. Ruby Rod is maybe one of like my top 10 favorite supporting characters in film. Like he's so good, <laughs> Ruby Rod. It's so good. I love him. He's so good. He's, he's so disrespected among a lot of people. Oh people, yeah, people think he's the worst part of the movie. I'm like, no, you are wrong. Yeah, that that you obviously don't understand what that movie is trying to do. Obviously, the best part of that movie though is Gary Oldman as Jean Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg. <laughs> oh, 100. percent Yeah, and and that's the movie. That's the movie that did make me fall in love with Gary Oldman. Speaking of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Uh, that's the movie that that made me fall in love with with Gary Oldman was him as Zorg in that movie. It was so good. Oh yeah, best best performance of that movie potentially. Yeah, I would a hundred percent agree with you there. Um, but let's circle back around to the November man. Uh, obviously, we're we're more we're happier talking around this movie than we are about this movie. Again, you know, you can really tell when we're, I mean, well, you like this movie, but I did, I enjoyed it. I mean, I can just read through my notes and talk about the stuff I liked, but. Sure, but you can always tell when we're not the biggest fans of a movie because we'll talk around it a lot. Yeah, I mean, but uh, well, I mean, uh, I would say that our LXG episode is maybe the exception to that rule because I uh, I did a lot of talking and I did not enjoy that movie. <laughs> well, look, man, you you had a lot to say about that because you know it's it's a uh, source material that you're very fond of. Sure, and you we're very upset that they uh, besmirched the good name of the league still upset still very upset but no i mean like early on like i'm watching this and the first thing i notice is that this is not a james bond movie because again i've been watching the bond movies so you you clue right into that um that this is you um, brosnan is is swearing uh he flips off the dude sitting next to him uh a child dies that's something bond would never let happen and he doesn't really have the charm that you associate with with james bond he's got the charm of Pierce Brosnan because Pierce Brosnan is an inherently charming figure, but he's got that more kind of ruthless efficiency that we'd expect from like a Jack Bauer type, which is why I said earlier in the episode, this movie kind of borrows, I would say from a lot of other spy properties, but doesn't really, it's, it's doesn't really stand on its own. 
it's more kind of borrowing from these other things and expecting the synthesis to be its own new thing. It doesn't feel like its own new thing, though. But, I mean, there's a lot of Bondian elements. I, I have a list of the Bondian elements. Um, a killer hench person, like an interesting killer hench person. So that is the the horrible assassin that you lamented earlier while I while I took a nap. Is she interesting? She's barely in this movie. She's certainly interesting to look at. And that's about it. But I'm just saying, you know. There, there's, there's, a, there's a good portion where I'm like, so did she just show up for that one kill to kill the journalist and that's it? And then she shows up at the end again and I'm like, oh, okay, she's back, I guess. Yeah. But like, she's forgotten about for large swaths of this movie. And I, you know, I mean, that's, that is one issue that this movie seems to have is that it doesn't really know what to do with a lot of its characters. It doesn't really know how to treat a lot of its characters. Um, I would also say there are some issues with the editing of the movie, at least with regard to introduction of plot details. Pierce Brosnan seems to know who the the know the secret identity of the 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 girl uh, Alice about two minutes before the rest of the movie figures it out. So he's calling her by her real name on the phone, and then in the next scene, we learn that she is in fact this woman that everyone's been searching for the whole time. Like that's an issue. Yeah, there's there. It gets really hard to follow. It uh, does. And that's, I mean, again, it's because the end is just so breakneck. Cause you're like, we've kind of been taking our time to get to this point, but Oh crap, there's all this movie left that we have to do. Uh, I don't know. Just, just throw it all in there. And it, it, I got whiplash from the end of this movie. It is like you, you think that the villain is Will Patton and then out of nowhere, it's his old handler, Hanley, Hanley, the handler, wah, wah, wah. Um, <laughs> who's got like a real, like he's got like a real Blofeld look to him. He's a you know, large bald man, like, like Blofeld. He, he just, as, as a villain, it's, it, I think it would work. He would work more as a villain. If we had a couple movies to sit with him as a character and to kind of learn more about him. Uh, it, Cause it feels like if I feel like if I knew who Weinstein and Hanley were as characters, I would care more which one of them is the villain. As it stands, I'm just like, oh, well, the CIA is the bad guy. Well, that's very Jason Bourne. Yeah, if we knew more about them more than just, oh, well, he was, he, you know, they were they were friends in the military. The three of them were all friends right. in the military. More than that. And, but now, I mean. Which we only know from a photograph. Right. To, to give it, a, I mean, just the tiniest bit of credit, it is a little bit of a subversion of a trope of like, you know, this the old colleague calling back in the guy, like we need you for one last. And that guy, the old like guy that's calling in the agent is usually like the doting lovable, like we need you for one more mission. And then he dies at the end of the movie. Right. And so to make that character a villain is kind of a trope subversion. I'll give it a little bit of credit. Okay. I'll give it that. But it still comes out of nowhere. That's, and that's my issue with it. Like, yeah. and, and, you know, the, the, the flashbacks to her, to the, the, the main female character being raped as a child could have, could have done without that. I mean, it's, it's handled as tastefully as you can handle something like that. I mean, nothing is shown, but still you're like, oh, this is gross. There are elements of this, but, but again, up until like that last half hour, 45 minutes where everything just happens, there, there are moments in there. I, did, I, I got a big, big lull out of Mira knocking out the assassin with a shovel that that made me laugh out loud i did i did chuckle at that that was great but it there's so many loose threads that it's trying to tie up like you find out that devro has a daughter and so hanley decides to use that as leverage 
But that doesn't really go anywhere because nothing in the film up to this point has told us that he has a daughter. In fact, everything up to this point has told us that he doesn't have any connections. He, uh, there's an, there's an offhand line early in the single film. line at the very yeah. beginning of the movie. Yeah. That, that indicates he has a daughter. But that, that's it. That he, yeah. Even then. They don't. Well, yeah. And then they don't mention it at all. Until... And then she becomes a character, like an important character in the last five minutes of this movie. Yeah, that's not that's not good. And you yeah, got, you're supposed to remember this. Yes, exactly. And his protege comes in and like suddenly without really any kind of lead up or build up whatsoever, just suddenly has a change of heart and decides to help Devereaux out. Like, where yeah, did that, that come from? And that's 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 something that I think I don't know. I haven't read the books. Maybe that's something that gets fleshed out in the books that is just sort of like you're supposed to know this already. I mean, this is this is based on the 11th book in the series. So there's 10 books before this where they might have fleshed out that relationship more or but now we're we're left to think about that in terms of like the the USB that he looks at. Maybe, you know, he, he saw some stuff or like there, there's literally no reason for his his young protege uh, to help him like he he strong arms him and like almost murders his girlfriend. Love so, interest. Love interest. The girl he's been flirting with for eight weeks or however long he's been living at that apartment. Yeah. And like, why would, why would you have, like, or do you have some, there's, there's a, there's an understanding and some characterization that is happening off screen that we're not seeing. Exactly. So it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. No, not really. Not at all. Yeah, man. I don't know. For the first, like, I would say, I don't know, for the first hour of this movie, and I feel like I'm just saying the same thing over again. I'm really invested. Like the plot is humming. It's singing. There's stuff happening. There's stuff going on uh, and it's being propelled forward. And then at the end, it's just like a bucket of cold water gets dumped on your head plot wise. And you're scrambling to remember all the seeds that were supposed to have been important and, and put them all together. It just, it all kinds of, it all kind of falls apart in the last act to the extent that you're not really not really able to keep up with it. Like I, I enjoyed it for the most part, but it's, it's not one that I don't, that I think I'll, I'll be too keen to really revisit going forward. When I look back on this movie, I think um, everything I didn't like about it. Once I start mm-hmm. thinking about it on the whole happens in the last half hour, 15 minutes. Same. And I think I'm, I'm right. I'm right there with you. Like this movie falls apart um, at the end. Um which stinks because the lead up is so like I'm I'm invested I'm there I'm like is this movie good actually then I get to the end and I'm like oh, I mean yeah but also not yeah I mean there was definitely things that I didn't like throughout the movie on the whole but most of it is at the end yeah the earlier ones I would say are probably more forgivable cinema sins but at the end you're just man it it it's just some poor screenwriting um and the editing also probably not very great. God, in, in my notes, uh, the, I don't know what it was about this that really, like, it, it was the one thing out of all the stuff at the end that really made me shake my head. Mm-hmm. But um, when Mason goes off to rescue Devereaux's daughter, mm-hmm. uh, the guy that goes with him is all of a sudden, even though he's a CIA agent, he's a random no-face guy, but all of a sudden he's like a sniveling, like, just henchman bad guy. Like, yeah. Out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's, just chewing on scenery and yeah. It's ridiculous. I was like, really? Like, why? Why is this guy like this all of a sudden? Yeah. Yeah. It, 
look, it doesn't make much sense. And it seemed, I, again, I think character motivation is an issue in this movie. Um, characterization in general, kind of an issue. I think the only character that's really well fleshed out is probably the main character, Peter Devereaux. Everyone else is just kind of an afterthought, unfortunately, in the grand scheme of things. Um, but Brosnan, to his credit, as an actor, is is playing the pathos of, of those moments, whereas Bill Smitrovich, I think is his name. Let me double check that. Yes, Bill Smitrovich, uh, who is, is generally an actor I like, but in this role, for whatever reason, uh, not a fan. Yeah, no, he's uh, it's weird, right? Like, sure, I, I gave it credit for subverting the trope, but like... He starts off as he starts off as that character. You think he's going to be that kind of character. And then from the interrogation scene on when he's first getting interrogated, he's being a misogynistic piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, you're like, wait a minute. Why is he? Why? All of a sudden? I right. thought he was gonna be this character and now he's this character. And you're like, what? Huh? There's an element there where you're kind of like, all right, well, I can kind of see the appeal of this guy. Cause he's like, yeah, I, I know exactly what your next play is because I wrote the playbook. I designed this place. I know no one can hear me. Like he starts going through that and you're like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. And then nothing ever comes of that again. Like that's just kind of over. Uh, and then he's just the one note MAGA guy. And it's, it, ugh, no, thank you. Yeah. It's like they played around with some ideas that they they could have done something with, and then just decided to disregard them and do something completely different. Yeah, it's it's a real real bummer. It's it is, and I mean now that I'm talking about it with you, like all the stuff that I like, like whereas I did like most of this movie, like the stuff that doesn't work is now becoming more and more glaring to me. So it may may I may have Stephen bumped my own my own enjoyment of this movie, man. Is this is this uh, the opposite situation where I'm going to drag your your opinion down? Uh, maybe, maybe, man, maybe. And here, because I came in really positive on this movie, like I, I, uh, I really liked it. I was like, yeah, those. I mean, yeah, negative reviews, but still solid. Um, not as solid uh, upon retrospect. I mean, some movies live with you a little better than others. Um, this one, uh, maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. Let's talk about the box office. Unless you got some other points you want to make. No, I mean, it, it, you know, it, I, I will admit much like that. It, it pulled me in. in the I, first I, 15 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Like that, that cold open is really good. Uh, and it really kind of sets the stage, but it, I don't know. It seems, it doesn't seem to live up to that promise, unfortunately. No. And it, it honestly, it got jarring for me um, after a while of not really knowing who I'm supposed to be rooting for where it keeps going back and forth between like, okay, this guy's likable. No, he's not. All right. This yeah. guy's likable. No, he's not. Right. Um, even, even, you know, Devereaux, who's the main character who's supposed to be likable. He does some really bad stuff. Um, Very Jack Bauer ask. Cause that's the thing about Jack Bauer is he's your main character and you're supposed to like him, but he crosses the line a lot. Right. And, and they, they try to justify it by <clears throat> trying to explain that, you know, you, 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 what, what's the line? You can either be a cold blooded killer. You can be a human. You can't be both. Um, but he doesn't eventually one eats the other or something like yes, that. Something like that. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't ever seem to be able to follow the advice that he gives to Mason because he says somehow managed to be both. And he has somehow managed to live with attachments. Like it seems like he's the, the guy who needs to practice what he preaches a little better. Yeah. Or, or at least be the guy, you know, the, the mentor trope of, I want you to be better than me. 
which they even mention in the movie, like where Mason's like, I wanted to be better than you, but he, he Devereaux immediately disregards that. Like, what does that even mean? Exactly. <clears throat> and, but like, so they, I, again, I'll give this movie credit for subverting some spy movie tropes. I don't know if they do it. They don't follow through with those subversions. It's not, it's not enough to make this movie stand out. Yeah. Unfortunately. Exactly. exactly. It, it's not enough to really create a spot for this movie. Which is right. why it probably did not do as well as uh, it wanted to. It opened at uh, number six at the box office on August 29th, 2014. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really, that's maybe the worst opening weekend of any movie we've ever covered. It, it's pretty $7.9 million of the opening. Um, so not a, not a very strong opening. Uh, number one at the box office that week is the uh, the big, uh, the, I would say probably the biggest Marvel movie post Avengers, uh, which is uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. In its fifth week, it is held on to the number one spot. It is grossed total over two hundred and seventy five million dollars at this point. <laughs> wow. Uh, number two in its fourth week, holding its number two spot at the box office is the Michael Bay produced Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. All right. Uh, number three is uh, a film. It stayed at number three and it's in its second week. So it's only known. Number three uh, is a uh, Chloe Grace Moretz movie called if I stay um, have never heard of it. Life changes in an instant for young Mia Hall after a car accident puts her in a coma during an out of body experience. She must decide whether to wake up and live a life far different than she had imagined. The choice is hers. If she can go on. I don't know. It doesn't sound like my thing. Uh, number four is a movie that I know you're fond of, and I just watched earlier this year on your recommendation. It's As Above, So Below in its opening weekend. Hey, look at Oh, it's sad that it only opened at number four, but that movie did not get any respect when it came out, and that's very sad. 8.6 million opening weekend. Um, it, it was good. I liked it. Probably my favorite of the found footage films I've seen so far, having not seen Blair Witch Project, which is a kind of a glaring hole in my horror movie knowledge. Uh, and then uh, number five, down from number four the previous weekend, uh, is uh, in its third weekend, is a movie called Let's Be Cops, which is a comedy about two guys who decide to be cops. Sounds great. Yep, that's that's your box office uh, for that weekend. Uh, and then you've got the Tomometer score is 35%. Uh, whereas the Metacritic score is 38 and the Letterboxd score is 2.6. So generally not favorable um, on this one. Brett, how did you rate this movie? Steven, I've, I've gone back and forth on this one. I, you know, I, I, after first watch, I was like, he's, he's probably like a three- but I think I finally settled on a 2.5. If I could give it a 2.75, I probably would. Um, it's, it's hard in the middle between 2.5 and 3, but we'll uh, we'll round down on this one. Sorry, Pierce Brosnan. You're, you know, you're, you're, you might potentially be my favorite Bond right now until I watch the other movies. That might change. Uh, but, you know, it's just, it's, it's just the end of that movie was too much for me. Yeah, it was it was a lot. Look, I I was originally more favorable on it than you. I had it at a three and a half originally, and ended up talking myself down to a two and a half as well. 
Uh, so I'm talking hey. myself out of a whole star rating. So two and a half is, which is consistent with the rest of what Letterbox thinks. So we're kind of right on par there. Uh, I guess uh, other franch- other films in the franchise would, I guess, borrow from other movie, other books in the series, I suppose. Uh, and again, if I had more of an idea of what was in those books, I would be able to tell you what that movie should be. But I don't and I can't. Yeah. And it's really tough to say with this being um, adapted from a story in the middle of the whole franchise. Uh, Weird. Do you go, yeah. do you, do you go back and tell prequel stories? Do you go from here and tell stories after this? Um, is it, you know, is it's tough to say what they would have done. Um, interestingly enough, uh, Pierce Brosnan officially announced back in 2014, officially back in 2014 came out when this movie when this, came out, when this movie came out that they, um, we had greenlit a sequel and it was in pre-production. So uh, it will stay forever. Yeah. That ain't happening unless it's really, really long pre-production. Uh, I, I can only imagine. Yeah. It is Hollywood, but I doubt it. It's not going to happen at this point. It's not going to happen. So uh, I guess that's, that's it for our November man episode. And uh, apparently our podcast in general, um, I mean, hey, we've 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 got some ideas for more stuff to do, but this there's nothing after this after the November man, there's nothing left. So it's been no. a nice run. No, we'll be back next week. We've got some big stuff planned. We're we we've got some good ideas. We're we'll we'll hit you back. Maybe we do a Disney Plus December. That's that's uh... that's so literal alliterative. It's just something we have to do. Um, I know. I know. So uh, be back here next week uh, and we'll we'll talk about another movie with lofty franchise aspirations that all fell flat uh, or crashed and burned. Maybe hint for next week. Maybe uh, I am uh, Stephen Fox where I'm one of your hosts. This is the disenfranchised podcast. You can find us on Twitter at disenfranchpod, or you can email us disenfranchpod at gmail.com. You can find me on Letterboxd and Twitter. I am at Chewy Walrus. Brett, where can they find you on the social medias? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at GunslingerFire. All right. So until next week, uh, for Brett Wright and myself, I am Stephen Foxworthy telling you to, I mean, really just watch the first hour of this movie and then just tap out because you don't really need to watch the end. Just, Just let it go. A lot of Hancock energy. Just watch the yeah. first half. Just watch the That's, first half. Yep. That's all you need.